This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Welcome to another edition of the Edge of Innovation. Today we're talking with Jeremiah Smith with Simple Tiger. He's the founder and CEO, and you're an SEO company. So let me ask you this question. I know I have a friend who owns a semiconductor manufacturing company. They make packaging for semiconductors, not like the box, but the actual little case that the actual semiconductor goes in. Now, I would imagine we could look at his client roster and develop some personas, a lot of engineers, a lot of purchasing agents, who knows even what, maybe product designers, things like that. How would you recommend... So trying to get really practical here, that they execute an SEO plan or begin that so that they could see some positive impact. Good what, question. What are your thoughts? Yeah, my immediate direction that I would suggest would be to first and foremost, actually, this is, seems counterintuitive, run a paid search campaign first and foremost, to see if you can sell or at least garner interest for your product to a a broad audience. And the whole idea there is that we want to cast a wide net with keywords. Mm -hmm. And and the way we do that, set up an AdWords or Google Ads nowadays, uh, Google Ads account, run these ads across all these keywords and see what happens. We're kind of testing the waters to a degree. And if we get some conversions meaning some people clicked on some ads and then bought the product from us, we need to zero in really fast on who those people were. We need to figure out what were their demographics, where were they, did we ask the question, what made you decide to buy from us, that kind of thing, so that we could see what their values were. And that'll help us quickly learn and gather that data around who our customer is. And then once we know that, we're going to be much better suited to start producing content to talk to that audience. If they primarily we're in Texas. And it turns out like a lot of manufacturers that tend to use these semiconductors are a couple of plants in Texas that really buy that product a lot. And that's who you're talking to. And that's mm-hmm. why a lot of those orders came through. Now you have a really narrow focus on like, oh, wow. All right. So we need to talk about semiconductors in Texas sure. and, or, or for this specific type of plant, something well, along so those lines. Let's unpack this a little bit. You know, if there's somebody out there that has a business like this or similar, I'd like them to be able to walk away with some to do. So uh-huh. they're small company, small, medium sized business, you know, 20, 50 employees, something like that. So you're saying, okay, what budget would you put together for Google ads? What, what is it? Uh, AdWords now? Or that's no, not AdWords. Yeah, it was AdWords. They yeah. changed it to Google ads recently. Okay. So what's, what's the budget? So are they going to spend a million dollars, a thousand dollars, 500? What I like to do is, is a, get a, a enough statistically relevant data that I can make conclusions fairly easily. What I'm usually looking for is at least a, typically at least a thousand clicks. If your site has a 1% conversion rate and we know that it has a 1% conversion rate, then a thousand clicks ought to yield us 10 conversions. Okay. All right. So if we have those 10 conversions, then we can quickly determine a couple things about those conversions. Whatever the cost is in your industry to get those 1,000 clicks, I think will just help you a lot. Okay. It could be one. It could be 100 clicks, but then you're really extrapolating things. If you could do 10,000 clicks, then you're just much more confident in your data because you've got a larger data set to work with. So the larger the data set, the more intelligent you're going to be. Sure. I would typically recommend 1,000 clicks, though, which in most industries is going to range from 1,000 to 2,500 dollars. And that should be done in typically about a month. I think that you can get a lot of traction really quickly with that. Hopefully, if you've got a good conversion rate, you're going to get some sales from it so you can recoup some of the cost of this experiment. But the whole idea there is to to gain intelligence. And how many ad words would you target in that? It really depends on the industry and the product. Is it the more the better? 
or is it, no, you should really focus? Uh, I would try to stay focused to, to relevance. I, I would let relevance determine that. I'd make the decision entirely based on how relevant the search seems to be. So, you know, you could easily target hundreds or even thousands of keywords. You may start losing relevance as you get a broader list and everything. So I would look at what, you know, a search keyword in Google real quick. If it makes sense, the results that come up, if they look like competitors and stuff like that, target that keyword. If you don't see competition, it doesn't seem like that keyword generates what you do, then I would avoid that keyword. All right. So again, um, people are listening to this, they're driving, they're thinking about this. Maybe this is something they come back to, but we've got this business, it makes these packages. I go out and do some Googling and find out when I can find my competitors, how I can find my competitors. Is that is that fair? Just yes, yes or no? Yeah, I'd okay. say that's fair. All right. So I, I compile that list of queries and I look at that and then I go out and buy some AdWords or whatever they're called, Google ads, mm -hmm. choose the uh -huh. words, the, the keywords, and I measure that. And I think it's important to say that there's two things that are occurring here. They click on something, and that may be valuable, but do they actually then engage with your website? And so uh -huh. you mentioned the word conversion, and I want you to speak to the different types of conversion, because clicking is one thing, and they get there and they say, oh, there's nothing about hamsters on this semiconductor website. Well, I was yeah. obviously targeting the wrong keywords, but they get there and they may engage, but they still may not buy anything because it might be a million-dollar purchase. You know, and it might take a year to get through that. So what are your thoughts there? So we are talking about probably one touch in the in the multi-touch phase of marketing. You know, there's so many different ways that people are going to interact with your brand and site and stuff like that. So we've got to keep in mind that you getting one interaction through a paid search ad or another interaction through an SEO result may just be one step towards them doing business with you. And we need to keep that in mind that just because you got a visitor from a from a keyword but didn't get a conversion doesn't mean that you didn't get the interest and the mind share that this person may come back and continue their relationship with you. And that goes into Seth Godin's book about permission marketing. Right. With, the, with these SEO results, you may actually be over time building relationships with people and answering enough questions to where, wow, I've, I've Googled this problem I'm trying to solve five different ways. And every time they seem to be the one company that answers my questions. Well, guess what? When they're ready to purchase, they're probably going to come to you. Right. So I think that's one way to think about it. We were talking about SEO and some of the, I guess, logistics of SEO that we had we had sort of covered to really give an idea for somebody who's who's coming at this. We all have different levels of knowledge. We all have different levels of experience. And SEO is, it feels like alchemy. And, you know, I'd love you to capsulize what would your advice be to a fellow small, medium-sized business owner for their approach to SEO should be. It's sort of like peeling an onion, I think, and, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that. So, for example, let's pick a company. I've got a small company that we're working with, 27 people. We deal with their IT. They're in the semiconductor manufacturing space, and they sell these esoteric things to a subset of engineers that are out there. So is that good or is that yeah, bad? That's that's a fantastic angle. I okay. can totally attack that. What what I can't work with is generic. So that's very specific. I can so if I were a pizza parlor, <laughs> it would be harder? Depends. Okay. Actually, it's funny. It, there are very few instances where SEO does not apply because okay. in almost any business model, there is something 
about your business model that people are searching for. I would say an example of potentially a difficult angle would be a headhunter that does high-level C-suite corporate headhunting might have a harder time with SEO because their their entire audience may be more based on relationships, okay. right? So that would be one of those examples where I've had one client in the past where I looked at it and I just did not see a good opportunity from an SEO perspective where they were concerned. But like attacking kind of this semiconductor manufacturer and who is appealing to a, a set of engineers with very specific needs and concerns, we're going to talk about a couple of different things from an SEO perspective right away. The first thing I'm interested in are the use cases or the applications of whatever it is your product or service offering does. And this can apply pretty generally to a lot of different business models, but really, how are people applying or using your product or your service offering? And in this case, these semiconductors are probably built with an application-specific focus. They may be built for medical-grade machinery or components for hospitals or something along those lines. And again, it could be something that's specifically built for satellites or for cell phone towers. So if we had a, a specific application or angle like that, let's start there and let's dig into your buyer. All right. So I always like to start first and foremost, like kind of backing up a little bit. I like to start first and foremost with why. Why do you exist? Why does your company exist? That comes from Simon Sinek's book, Start With Why. Once we know why the company exists, then that can help us make decisions about everything underneath that. So once we know why we exist, the next most important thing is who? Who do we exist for? And under that realm, we know that the semiconductor business is serving up, let's, let's just say that their why is they exist to build the highest quality, maybe most reliable semiconductors for this industry that they built them for. Okay. Do you have an industry in mind that they, these are applicable for, or are these very general and they can apply to a lot of different things? They're general. They're pretty general. Unfortunately, okay. it would be nice if they were, you know, they did it for medical equipment, but no, it's, it's, it's fairly general and broad. Okay, cool. Then I'm going to go ahead and, and that's fine. I can work with that. So what I would do is I would look at why the business exists first. We generate these because we want to be the most reliable. Let's think of our manufacturer as being the Toyota of the manufacturing industry in, as far as semiconductors are concerned. Reliability is key. Toyota is the most reliable, so we're just going to pick on that for, for the, sure. this angle of the semiconductors. That said, now who are we talking to? So we're talking to engineers at different companies who are purchasing these semiconductors to use in the application of producing their products or, or even building their own internal tools or something along those lines. These engineers, if I analyzed your books, if I looked at your business and it's an established business and I looked at your books, I could quickly determine that, let's say you have 100 customers that you've sold to over the course of doing business overall time. Mm -hmm. uh, if I analyzed those 100 customers and I said, all right, let's start with the most profitable right? Who are the most profitable customers? It's very rare that you're going to say, well, everyone's equally profitable, but sure. that's more of a B2C mindset. But a B2B mindset, you're probably going to have a very profitable few types of clients. Well, let's take those profitable ones. And just speaking from a profitability standpoint, let's look at patterns that kind of unify them. If we looked at them, I'm interested now in establishing what in marketing we call a persona. And this is where we get into the who we're talking to. So who is the most profitable customer of your company. They may be predominantly the healthcare industry. They may be sure. C CTOs are making the, the procurement or the purchasing decision of these semiconductors at healthcare organizations that manufacture these pieces of hardware that are used by hospitals. So that may be a persona. CTO, 
at a healthcare medical device company. So that's one persona. That's our most profitable persona. Maybe our second one is telecommunications and that cell tower kind of example from earlier. Maybe there is a cell tower manufacturer that AT&T contracts predominantly, and their CTO is going to be the customer you want to work with there. It may not be the CTO, maybe some engineer or some someone else within the organization. So that'll be persona number two. So after we've gone through these 100 customers, we've defined probably, you know, a handful of personas. Now you could keep going because towards the bottom of that list, once you get all the way down, you're probably going to find 15, 20 different people that don't have anything in common. There's no pattern to them and they only make up a tiny portion of your list. So let's, let's ignore them because the ones that are really going to dominate your sales are the, are the ones that do fall into a pattern, the healthcare industry, the telecom industry. So now, now that we know who we're talking to, now let's try to appeal to them with what we're going to say. So we know why we exist. We know who we exist for. Now what are we going to do about it? We're going to talk to them. What are we going to say? The content now needs to get into targeting some keywords that these people are going to say. So the healthcare industry folks are going to be searching for semiconductors for medical devices, and they probably have like Internet of Things terminology that mm-hmm. they're going to use where these medical devices need to talk to each other through the hospital. So IoT-related keywords might be one category, and maybe, let's see, like location-aware devices might be important as well. So sem- semiconductors for location-aware devices. So now we have a location-aware as kind of a category category of keywords. So now these all appeal to like that healthcare side of things. Now the next one, the next persona, this AT&T procurement kind of company or contractor mm-hmm. might be looking for something that complies to FCC regulations. And that's their number one driver is that they're building stuff for the communications grid sure. and they have to be very strictly, rigorously tested to make sure that they're absolutely FCC compliant, that they're secure because they're sitting out there in the wilderness all day. We don't want people being able to break in and get to them. They have to deal with high heat or a very extreme cold rain, wind, stuff like that. So those kinds of things come into play for that persona. And so now we need to produce content for that persona. And so all of this content kind of falls under keyword sets that talk to each one of those target personas. But what we've done so far is we've used the 80-20 principle to tease out the most profitable set of clients that you have and categorize them into an audience that we can then talk to with a strategic focus on content that meets them where their concerns are. And when I say meet some where their concerns are, if you have a concern or you want to find out about something or you want to learn more about something or you need help with something, odds are you're going to Google it at mm-hmm. some point. So you're putting your concern into a search engine and what you're hoping to find is a solution. So we're going to deliver that solution in the form of content and educate you and provide the answer that you're looking for. And within that answer, within that piece of content, ultimately the solution may aim to doing business with us and just coming to us, getting on a call with us downloading this report about how our semiconductors work for the medical device industry better than anyone else's. And that may be the tipping point that causes you to decide to turn into a sales lead and actually talk to me and have me pitch you on why you should work with us. So that's ultimately how I see an SEO project for a client like that going. So let me ask a a follow-on question to that. So I had somebody come to me and say, gee, I want to buy some good headphones. And and I said, oh, you know, you should look at Bose or, you know, if you really want to pay a lot of money, look at Sennheiser. And well, but how do I know? You know, what should I buy? I want a gaming headset. And so I I Googled and I said, does Bose make a gaming headset, which they don't, which I was surprised. OK, that's fine. And the response to my searching for 
headsets or headphones was all over the place. And mm. I, I don't know why, but I clicked on a link and got to, I don't know, some tech site that wasn't just a shill for reviews, mm. but it was actually some conversations back and forth, a forum post. And one, sure. one guy said in there, well, I use this site. And it was a google.com address that was, mm -hmm. you know, basically somebody had put it in their Google file storage. I was expecting it to be, you know, something out of the 1960s or something, you know, when HTML just, just came out. And it was this incredible website, which just went mm. into all the details, very plain spoken. I was like, wow. And it just, it was absolutely up to date. It wasn't a URL like Bob's headphone site. It was this just generic Google Drive URL. And I was struck by that, both by the experience of getting this red, relatively homogenous information initially, and then finding this several layers deep. And my gosh, this is really incredible. I never knew there was so much information about headphones and so well put together. So what do you say to them? I mean, because obviously they haven't done SEO well at all, but their content was really good. Yeah. So really, when you say they haven't necessarily done SEO well, I'm, I'm always curious about that because SEO has kind of, it carries this nebulous connotation. Right. A, lot, a lot of people think that SEO means, SEO means a bunch of different things to a bunch of different people. Heck, SEO means a bunch of different things to me, and that's what I do full time. Mm -hmm. But really, when we're talking about, I think, the core of SEO, we have to keep in mind that the definitions, let's go back to the basics here. So the definition of search engine optimization or SEO. SEO is, is to optimize something for search so that it's easier to find. I mean, I guess, depending on your uh, on that definition of SEO, that could apply to how you organize things in your herb cabinet, you know, mm -hmm. or your, when you're cooking, right? So that you can That's quickly and easily... Yeah, you can quickly and easily find basil. So you just did search engine optimization for your own internal search engine, right? So that, to a degree, you're organizing something so that that information can be quickly and easily found. Now, we think about it in regards to Google, just because Google owns 70% search market share and has for you know 20 years. But we have another dominant player in the search space out here, especially if you're a product company, like the ones that you just referred to, Sennheiser and Bose, mm -hmm. and that's Amazon. Mm -hmm. Amazon is a now a dominant search engine. Most product search traffic is now started on Amazon hmm. versus Google, which is insane to think about. Yeah, who'd have thunk it, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like a year or two ago, most product searches began in Google, and that just made sense because that's how it's been for the longest time. But Amazon is now such a dominant player in the retail product space that that's where most product searches begin. So that said, if you are a product manufacturer or you know a retailer, Amazon is actually a strong part of your strategy. And if you're talking SEO, you can't avoid talking about Amazon if you're in e-commerce. That's scary for a lot of people because you could go to Google and you could play around in Google and, and optimize your site well from an e-commerce perspective in Google. And that will generate a lot of value and a lot of results and probably even a majority of it. But if you put some effort into optimizing what is required within Amazon, you could get a dramatic amount of results out of that too because guess what? Amazon has an algorithm, a ranking algorithm, just like Google does. When mm -hmm. you search for Sennheiser headset in Amazon, there may be 12 different retailers that all sell them on Amazon, but you've got one that shows up at the top. How did that happen? That happened through search engine optimization or oh. SEO, but just for Amazon. So with Amazon, you're not optimizing your site anymore. You're optimizing your product listing and your Amazon store listing. So it's a different thing that can even apply to the iTunes store for your iPhone apps. 
Hmm. You can do search engine optimization for the app store so that you could have the best time tracking tool, for example, in, in the app store. So the search engine optimization can apply to a lot of things. So I take everyone back to that. Now, let's say for a moment we're just talking about Google, and I swear I'm coming back to answering your question yeah, here. So, so let's say we're focusing on just Google. Then we have to look at Google's purpose just like we have to look at Amazon's purpose. If I'm a pizza parlor, Amazon does not apply. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Unless we're talking about their new kind of local listing service and using Alexa to find the best you know, pizza around me, then it does apply. Right. But if we're not talking to that angle, we're talking about just Google and just for this kind of semiconductor business. Then I need to look back at why Google exists. Google exists. And this is their kind of stated mission statement to organize the world's information and make it freely accessible. All right. So if that is their mission statement, then they're trying they're trying to get all the world's information in one place and then make it freely accessible. So every word in that mission statement is important. When you think accessible, you think, well, it's easy to get to because it's in Google, but it goes deeper than that. They mean accessible as in like when I do a search in Google, the first result has to be the best. And then mm -hmm. the second result has to be the second best. And the third has to be the third best. That's what they're really trying to do is make it further accessible as a big term for Google. They want it to be really good content that they bring back to you. So that said, we have to keep that in mind when we're looking at you know, optimizing. If, if I'm a manufacturer and I'm developing products like headsets for gaming and stuff like that, I need to produce content on my site that is the kind of content that you stumbled across that really did a good job of selling you on something. I need to be producing that on my site as my responsibility in order to do SEO properly for my specific application and what I need out of it. And so for that, you need content. And right now you still need links and you need really good user engagement mm -hmm. on that page or on that piece of content. And user engagement is really looked at as when people click on the listing in Google and they come into your site, first of all, they can't bounce. So you don't want them just disappearing right away because they didn't find what they're looking for. You want them to scroll. You want them to click. You want them to read and kind of dwell on the site. That means that they're actively engaging with the site. And if they click around on a couple different pages, they're getting more and more engaged in the site. So Google is watching all that they're doing. And that data is being fed back in via artificial intelligence to a machine that then decides that that result is exactly related to the keyword search that came up. So that the next time somebody searches that keyword in Google, that result is going to be more likely to rank better. And that's just an automatic process that's consistently happening. So really, it comes down to if we're talking about doing SEO, that they weren't doing SEO, they might not have been doing SEO for Amazon or for iTunes. But in regards to Google, sounds like they were. Well, we've been speaking with Jeremiah Smith of Simple Tiger. He's an SEO expert, and they're an SEO agency. As you can tell, there's a lot of value here in what he said. Have you been listening? We've been throwing out book names and different things you should go and look at. All of that will be in the show notes, so I encourage you to look there. You'll find links to Simple Tiger and a way to actually contact Jeremiah. Well, I want to thank you. Thank you for spending the time with us, and who knows? Maybe we'll have you back soon. That would be awesome. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you so much for everything, Paul. It was an honor to be here. All right. Thank you. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. 
The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.